0: So I believe bracing the core is very important because you got to lift heavy things to get overall strong. And I believe that bracing against the sagittal flexion extension is very good. I think bracing against side bending is eh, questionable, really not that important because you really want to coil with that. And bracing against transverse only is counterproductive. You teach the little intrinsic muscles of the spine to do what they shouldn't be doing and you teach the lats to do what they shouldn't be doing and there's never a circumstance not once athletically or otherwise where you want to do that brace yourself in neutral 50 50 against the transverse force
1: that was biomechanist and inventor david weck speaking on the principles of training or not training the bracing core in each plane of motion based off of what we actually see in athletes in sport you're listening to the just fly performance podcast Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Welcome to episode 107 of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today, we have biomechanist and inventor David Weck. Uh, David is the creator of Weck Method and also the CEO and founder of Bosu Fitness. Uh, yes, he invented the Bosu ball. So before you just tune right out, <laughs> you listen to that and be like, okay, I'm not listening to this. Um, David's knowledge of the human body, biomechanics, and locomotion goes very far beyond uh, the idea of you won't get as strong training on balance balls or you won't be able to lift as heavy a weight training on balance balls or that type of of Um, paradigm Uh, so I first heard of David on the barbell shrug podcast and I was really blown away I mean I barbell shrug great podcast a lot of awesome strength practitioners on there Uh, David was the first guy I heard on there who was really into biomechanics on a much more than skin deep level and by skin deep I, I mean like just making a general assertion of the trunk or the core based off of usually like a barbell movement. You need to squat this or deadlift this. You need to brace your trunk, your core. and But it doesn't get beyond that. And so sport movement is much more complex. Your sprints and your jumps, there's so much going on and so much that you know. the more you learn about joints and what to watch, it's just crazy how deep the rabbit hole goes. But at the end of the day, um, one of the things that I'm passionate about is, is making is drawing the sports performance field um, closer to what actually happens in sport and digging up training implications based off that i love lifting heavy barbells i love barbell training the spirit of barbell training i think it's awesome i just am always into the whole package the whole picture i want to do whatever i can to make athletes better anyways listening to david on the barbell shrug podcast you really saw just this tremendous insight into the inner workings of the human body as, and not even just the the workings of it, but also just developmental principles, how we evolved and came to be as humans, how we locomote <laughs> uh kind of a fancy word, but um looking at just how we move and how we create movement and locomotion is it's huge it relates to everything and so that's one of the reasons I'm just really excited to have this talk with David today. Uh, So as I mentioned, he's uh, a creator of Weck Method, inventor of the Bosu Ball, as well as many other products, such as a new version of the Bosu Ball that offers a little more stiffness and implications in training the foot, the RMT Club, and other products. David has been in the fitness industry for over 20 years, has helped lots of people as well as elite athletes from multiple sports. And today, uh, I wanted to chat with David specifically about something that I think is a It's total hot button. Uh, You kind of heard me mention just a minute ago about how uh, one of my things and one of the things I hope to bring to the industry is just taking a deeper look at what happens in the sport and on the field and what are the actions that are going on in the actual sport and then looking at that and one of the things that is a frequently debated is is the core and the trunk and this idea of bracing the core and so when we tend to put our paradigm in sports performance on the barbell, that can shift where we put our priority in terms of how we look at the trunk versus if your starting paradigm is human biomechanics, locomotion, and what happens on the field, it may change things. And so that's where David has so much to bring to the table and is going to really deep dive into what that actually, ha- what actually happens with the trunk, the ribs, the muscles uh, related, and then when athletes are moving. So we're going to go through this in a depth that includes different locomotion theories of human development. We're going to talk about tons of ways to address the coiling core, which David will, we're going to talk about lots of ways to address proper trunk training. So how do we uh, infuse this into our athlete training programs based off what we are observing in sport and again, I, I think that with anything that's debated, just go test this out, like go, go use these methods with your athletes and see if it makes an instant difference. And that's something I'm a huge believer in. If you do things right, you will see changes very quickly because you're working in the manner that the human body is meant to be working. So, uh, this is a fully loaded episode. Also just one little FYI, there is some, uh, bad words in this one. So if you have, uh, kids or, or at work and have run at to 11 you may want to turn down just a little bit but um, just and, and again like some episodes like these they're loaded they're um, stuff that's hot, controversial sometimes it uh, it gets hot so uh, looking forward to bringing you this one so let's uh, get onto the show episode 107 with David weck. David welcome to the show thanks for being here today
0: Thank you Joel this is a great opportunity I came across your podcast not too long ago and we're both geeks and there's a lot of geeks listening to this and we're going to be dropping some truth bombs here that are about as controversial as can be, but it's all in an interest of making every step stronger for everyone, enhancing function and performance. And so speaking to you, it's pure bliss right now. I'm looking forward to this a great deal.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, when I was reading kind of your a little bit of the writings you had done based off my early questions, I'm really excited to talk to you. I, It's funny, I had no idea who you were until I listened to the Barbell Shrugged. Uh, podcast and it, I listened to a lot of a lot of those and and that's such a that's a great show and but there's not a lot of like real detailed biomechanists on you know in any podcast it, people who really dig apart the human body um, so I was like a lot of things you said I was just like whoa like I, I, I actually went back and listened to it a few times and and just the it's it really is amazing this the paradigm of watching the human body in motion in its uninhibited uncoached state you know and and taking things away. Just such, there's a lot of gold there. So I'm excited to pick your brain on it all today.
0: Awesome, great. Well, I'm going to share everything that I can in this very short
1: time, and then we will follow up with uh, more. I am certain. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. So let's let's kick it off. And those, okay, so for people who don't know who you are, uh, yeah. clues in on your background. Uh, you know, athletically, uh, biomechanics, coaching the human body. Um, where have you been, and where are you now?
0: Okay, so basically, I'm the little train who could. You know, I wasn't a great athlete. I was a very good athlete. I played Division three college football. Football was my passion. I was cut out to be a middle distance runner, but, you know, I wanted fast. So I could dunk a volleyball, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And I ran a 4640. And that was a lot of it was hard earned rather than God just put me on the earth to do those things. So I've always been incented to use my brain to help my body function at its best. And in football, I really studied the X's and the O's to excel at college football. So I was better than I was. Um, and then uh, I pursued acting for 10 years. 10 years into that gig, I invented the BOSU ball. And as, as Barbell Shrug said, you know, okay, we found the asshole, <laughs> Right. I invented the BOSU ball. And at that time, a starving actor, 30 years old, what am I going to do for money? Oh, cha-ching, I invented the BOSU ball. So I worked extremely hard. I got that off the ground. And then rather than build the empire myself, what I did was I licensed the product. And what that did was it bought me time. All of a sudden, it's mailbox money. And I've had mailbox money now for more than a decade and a half. And so I do what I love to do, every single day, which is study movement. And you mentioned about you know studying biomechanics. You see, I think you gotta go where the money is, right? And there's not a lot of money in the study of speed because there's nothing to sell. Affluent people don't go to Dick's looking for track spikes. They wanna go buy a golf club. You wanna buy a $15,000 bicycle. You wanna buy running shoes for your 10K that you are not very good at, right? If you're sprinting past the age of 25, you either love it so much or you're getting paid a lot of money to do it. So if there's no money, where is the brain power? Where's the incentive? Where's the motivation? Couple that with the fact that if you're in the game and the money's not in the mail, then you gotta perform right now. So the pressure's on, you're the strength coach, you're the coach. There are no there is very little leeway for experimentation, right? Oh, gee, guys, I got this theory. It may work, and if it does, great. But if it doesn't work, you're going to lose. That doesn't fly. So you have, to, you have to portray an air of confidence for your athletes because the mental state of an athlete is arguably as important as any other state or any other factor, physical and otherwise. So there's a stifling of innovation when you're in the hunt. And so I invented the BOSU ball. I didn't have to be in the hunt. I could do whatever I want, right, and I wanted to study movement. And a long, long time ago, when I first invented it, I said, okay, I am going to master balance measured by locomotion. That's how I'm going to know whether or not I'm making progress. Is it faster? Faster is faster, and that's all that matters. So objectivity is the key. It's the king. And otherwise, we have Christians and Muslims fighting each other. They go to different heavens and hells. Subjectivity is the kiss of death because you get mired in the mud, and there's no use in even talking. So What I'm here to talk about is based in the objective reality that there are certain things that you must do at the fundamental level to locomote most efficiently. And some of the things that I'm saying, the basic crux of what I'm saying, has never been said before. And that's extremely intimidating. And it was the wherewithal that the BOSU ball gave me that allowed me to go on this journey. And believe me, I wouldn't be... Talking the way I'm talking, sharing what I'm sharing, the way I'm sharing it. If I didn't know, so that's who I am. Um, you know, if I were a great athlete, I, you know, I'd have finished up an NFL career and I wouldn't know a damn thing about this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I guess every time we we go to a health club, and we see a Bosu ball sitting there. We can look at that and think of it as a symbol of the time that you've got to invest in human uh, biomechanics locomotion that you wouldn't have otherwise been able to do.
0: Millions and millions and millions of examples of that fact.
1: Yeah, no it's it's definitely um, the the ability to sit down and study, I think is just so valuable because, yeah, so many coaches in the field, it's just hard to have time to breathe sometimes with the coaching hours and the lifestyle in, in those cases. Oh, so it's
0: and and Charlie Francis, who you know, I try to read everybody, right? So I, I want to learn from every single person. And Charlie Francis obviously is one of the greats, right? Lots to learn from Charlie Francis. Charlie Francis was sleeping on sofas, right? I mean, Charlie Francis couldn't, you know, he couldn't rub two nickels together because he was so passionate about what he did. And, you know, you you don't really get paid that much for it. And it's not not even like, you know, Freddie Roach the boxer, right, where you're getting a piece of the purse from Manny Pacquiao because you're his trainer. And if you took the money out of NFL and NBA and you put it all in track and field, well, I don't think Usain Bolt would be the fastest guy ever. Because, again, you got to go where the money is. And it's a t- we're in this business because we love it. This is what we choose to do with our time. And that's why I love you so much is because when I listen to your podcast, you are curious, right? You come at it with the cup, ready to get filled up. You know a ton. And you said something to me before we, you know, talking the other day where it was, I, it has to pass the test through me myself if it's going to make it to my athletes, there is a certain advantage that one has if you are athletic enough to feel the truth. You can test and vet things and then teach it better if you actually can do because feeling is knowing. So if you've never, you know, if you've never played the guitar, it's hard to teach guitar lessons.
1: Yeah, right on. I I couldn't agree more. I I think that's that's a good lead off to I think what our first thing we we'll, we'll, we can end up talking about is um the just different aspects of the core and uh getting into this bracing and coiling idea or bracing versus coiling and i the first memory that comes to my mind when talking about uh speed and the core and what it's doing is is i read an article and it was talking about planks and it was like basically you can brace and lock down and get this position but that doesn't mean you're going to be in it when you're moving and that was like a whoa like i was just trying to process you know that was like me at 25 i'm sitting here trying to like process this like paradigm shift in my early coaching life and then obviously moving forward there's just been um especially with some of the work that you're doing and talking about there's definitely been nothing but uh, mind-opening uh mind-opening constructs and and yeah like i feel like it's something you have to come at from a beginner's mind because strength and conditioning is still a young field and if you don't you take everything as given it's just okay brace the core paloff press this is going to somehow make you a better athlete i don't think really get too far um, but I want to ask your uh, what is your take um, on this is a loaded question <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we talked about two Cal Dietz posting something on this on how the bracing core shuts you down neurologically and just all hell ensued um but the difference between the coiling core and the bracing core okay, whats your take so, yeah
0: all right so so let's let's first talk about some things I think your listeners you know probably we want to get down to the nitty gritty brass stack so We're going to talk about function. We're going to talk about fundamental function and practically universal function. We're talking about locomotion. Okay, so locomotion, aside from breathing and eating, digesting, eliminating, locomotion is the most important thing you can do, functionally speaking. Okay, because that is key. You walk to the swimming pool, you walk to the horse ring, or wherever you go, right? And so, by upright bipedal locomotion, which is contingent upon one's ability way, way back when to throw. Sticks and stones and two swing sticks. These were the absolute keys to being able to locomote, because we don't have claws and we don't have big fangs, etc. Okay? So it's that holy trinity that forms the foundation for every single thing else we do. Okay? So now with the bracing core, I define the bracing core as two fundamental ways to brace the core. The first one is brace and don't breathe to pick up heavy things, and the next one is brace and breathe. To create the diaphragmatic differentiation, so that you can breathe under stress. Okay, you absolutely, under no circumstance, want to brace your core in neutral against a transverse only force. So a paloff press is the quintessential uh, mis—it's the quintessential representation of the misunderstanding and the just how upside down the industry is when it comes to their belief about movement performance. So I believe bracing the core is very important because you gotta lift heavy things to get overall strong. And I believe that bracing against the sagittal flexion extension is very good. I think bracing against side bending is eh, questionable, really not that important because you really want to coil with that. And bracing against transverse only is counterproductive. You teach the little intrinsic muscles of the spine to do what they shouldn't be doing and you teach the lats to do what they shouldn't be doing and there's never a circumstance not once athletically or otherwise where you want to do that brace yourself in neutral 50 50 against the transverse force yet dogma for the past 10 years is oh you don't know anything if you don't know this the paloff press the PAL-off press the paloff press right there's a lot of There's a lot of intellectual bullying that goes on when I know best and you don't kind of a thing. If I have C-S-C-S behind my name and you have A-C-E, well, I'm better than you, right? I'm smarter than you, right? I have more experience than you. So there's a lot of that nonsense going on, okay? So now the coiling core, that's the figure eight. Grakovetsky is the guy who defined or coined the term spinal engine, okay? Let me explain Look at evolution, macrocosmic, look at the very first animals on the planet, they floated in water and they wiggled side to side to get from here to there and hence the Piscean strategy of movement was born. That means side bending is what fish do and that's what you do when you have the buoyancy, you have the luxury to indulge in the side bending to get you from here to there. Now. As soon as you leave the buoyant water, the fluid, and you get on land, you got to prop yourself up. Now you're now you're not buoyant anymore. So, you prop yourself. You first you side bend, one part of your body makes progress with virtually no effort because efficiency is the law of the jungle. So, you side bend, you put your right hand or, you know, limb or fin that turns into a whatever a limb. That And then you prop yourself up with this axial counter-rotation and boom, other side, other side, other side. And that's the amphibious or reptilian strategy where you are essentially the spine is horizontal. But in that moment, the spinal engine was born. And when the hominid, us, propped themselves up and climbed into the trees and then discovered the vertical arrangement. I think that there's something very profound about this verticality, the polarity of having your brain and the cerebral fluids at the very top, polar opposite to the tail, okay? I think that there's something very special about that. We fell in love with the efficiency of that. And so what we learned to do is we learned to balance it out and create the most potential movement energy that makes us the ultimate endurance, you know, beast of the large creatures, etc. OK, and we evolution doesn't work by like, oh, you get to start over because if it did, we'd have wheels and we'd have jets. OK, we, we look a lot like a dog or a cat in our skeleton. And, you know, a, sp- a fish also has a spine that's segmented. So we didn't just abandon what the framework was. We built upon what came before. And so because of the curvature, the S curvature, particularly the lordotic lumbar spine, When you side bend in the frontal plane, a biomechanical reality is that you create an axial rotation, counter rotation of the shoulders and the hips. So in locomotion, the shoulders do an underhand figure eight and the hips do an overhand figure eight. If you're crawling or doing the reptilian, it's opposite. That's an overhand figure eight with the shoulders and an underhand with the hips. And it works either way, but for upright bipedal locomotion, it is very simple, it is very specific, and it is what it is. It's an underhand figure eight with the shoulders, overhand figure eight with the hips. The shoulder goes down and back. The same side hip comes up and forward, and the center of gravity goes straight, and your head lands with your head over your foot. This is fundamental to balance. It's what all the good runners do, whether distance, sprinters, men, women, that's what they do. And then you have... The pedestrian theory of locomotion in direct opposition to spinal engine theory, which is Grakovetsky. Now, let me just say as an aside, Grachovetsky, he didn't understand the myofascial or muscular consequences to his spinal engine. He didn't recognize the simple truth that the lats are Bo Jackson. You want the lats carry the ball if you want to win the game. The lats bridge and literally connect the hips and the shoulders. It's the lats that lead the locomotion. The, the tissue directions of the lats, the multiple origins, everything about them is there for you to optimize the spinal engine. And when you do that, now everybody else on the team, all the other muscles, all the other structure gets to do their role in proportion to support Bo Jackson, right? We don't want to hand the ball to somebody else. So the lats, Grakovetsky focused too much on the intrinsic and the multifidi and, you know, just didn't, he didn't get it. He understood it from the skeleton, he didn't get it from the myofascial, okay? And so, ah, there's a kink in the argument, okay, well there, his whole theory is wrong. No, it's not. Pedestrian theory is that the legs carry the body and that the core does not generate power, right? The core transmits power from the large ball and socket joints, the hips and the shoulders. The core, its job must be braced so that you can transmit the power because in a weight room when you're squatting or deadlifting, that's what you're doing, all right? But if you're bracing your core in neutral, you basically can lift something heavy. You can't even jump if you brace it in neutral. You got to flex and extend if you're going to jump, right? So brace And by the way, the guy who wins the deadlift contest, he's hunched over because because connective tissue is stronger. And if your objective is to pick up a heavy weight, well, we got to break some rules and, you know, body's going to suffer if we're going to win, <laughs> right? So pedestrian theory And this is the fundamental problem that has become sort of the dogma and the, you know, sort of the defining, uh, paradigm or foundation of our time is that the pedestrian theory, Grakovetsky was wrong. Now we know better. You have to brace your core because the core doesn't generate power. It couldn't be further from the truth. And once you understand the the biomechanics of it, it couldn't be more simple. Like, I mean you'll read something from a predominant expert with three hundred peer-reviewed articles about how you gotta brace your quarter run and you know at the moment when you hit a baseball, your core braces. It's like, wait a minute, what about when the guy misses the ball? When did he brace? <laughs> if you think you're hitting a home run, you missed the ball, you didn't stop to brace. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a reflexive pressurization that, you know, the movement is slowed down for a very fraction of a second. That ball's going to the fence because you're not bracing. And if I were to tell my buddy who's a contractor who doesn't even know what a femur is and couldn't care less, hey, do you brace your core when you swing a baseball bat? He goes, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, why are you asking me such a stupid question? You know, I'll buy the next round. Or no, you buy the next round for asking me something so stupid, right? So that's my feeling on the the bracing core and coiling core. And coiling core… People have used the term, you coil your core before. Okay, so I didn't invent that. But what I do is I use coiling core training as as a way to describe the distilled essence of how to create the greatest foundation for rotational power and in the process increase your ability to brace the core in neutral stronger. And it is a simple, simple formula. The, The side of your body where the ninth rib descends and comes down. So if you look, if you slice the body in half front to back, right in that midline where the ninth rib is, which happens to coincide where T12 and L1 juncture, that is your central axis on the side of the body. It does not move relative to the shoulder going down and back, same side hip coming up and forward, and the alignment is head over foot. If you do that, and there's very specific exercises you do, you will get an immediate carryover to faster, and you will have the, the conventional rest recovery adaptation response that just keeps getting better. And why do I know this? Because we have thousands of athlete hours in with wonderful people like Dr. Chris Holder at Cal Poly. Uh, An athletic program that's one step down from the elite, which means you get to coach every athlete from every team as the strength coach. You know, you're not just you're, you're not just that coach. You're you're coaching all right. And he will tell you that the most important exercise and training concept that one can do is coiling core. And once you learn it, you can complete an entire set, both sides of the body. You train it ipsilaterally in less than one minute. You don't need to do it a long time because when you know what button to press to get the result, well then boom, you do it. Right. And so back to power off press, it's based on this concept that the core doesn't generate power. We've got to do this. we've going to do that. Right. And so you see it everywhere and people do multiple variations on it to, I mean to boot and it's worse than a waste of time. It's actually counterproductive, but these athletes are so good at that, you know, and it's not hurting you per se. It just is. It's unscrambling. It's it's scrambling the egg that you now have to neurologically unscramble, and there's there's the immediate carryover effect is detrimental, and then you sort of you know come back, you get out from being discombobulated, and now you're back to normal. But there was a cost, and certainly an opportunity cost for having done that exercise, and the reason I know this is because faster is faster, and if you look at the video. You see, the clock never lies. The video camera, the eye in the sky never lies, provided it's not edited like a reality show. That never lies either, but it can be misinterpreted. The clock doesn't lie, and it can't be misinterpreted. So when you take the, the objectivity and reality and ultimate truth of the clock, and then you, in light of that, you view the video, now you can see the truth. Nobody who is fast braces their core.
1: Yeah, I- Too To to run or jump. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, I agree. You watch the video and you see it. I mean, it's um, a lot to unpack there too. So I'm going to kind of try to walk back through some of the things you said and and, and, uh, roll through those just a little bit. Uh, yeah, so one of the things actually, before I lose this in my mind, because I, I had just thought this while you were kind of saying it at the end, and if I go through everything back again, I'm probably going to forget because I don't have my notepad too today. Um, but it, I, this would be so simple. This would be a great experiment, but I think a lot of people don't think this way is like you said you get the neurological effects of what you just did it sticks with you like if you do complex training where you do a a squat and a vertical jump or a clean and a sprint what you just did sticks with you so and and you you eventually will get out of it i've been through enough kind of neuro-based like therapy courses i've seen that kind of happen but um it'd be cool experiment like okay have three groups of athletes one group does a bunch of pallet press then does a 10 yard dash or 20 yard dash one group just does nothing and one group does um, actually i'll have to put in the show notes like the royal coil uh that you've talked about i'll I'll put that in there and one group does that i feel like if you rather than arguing just think if we all instead of just arguing on social media threads about who is right because i mean you can either be right or you can learn you know like just why don't you, you yourself try it, like try doing an exercise, a priming exercise, and see how it affects your sprint. Like, do that before you just, and going back to, I think that would be a really interesting way to solve things rather than just jumping, you know, into your Olympic system and having to have you defend yourself, but even on the the Chaldeeds video where he was saying, look, like bracing your core shuts you down neurologically, and giving a few examples, and then you look through those um, you look through the the threads and the comments and it's like the people who are really fired up about not bracing, like who are really in love with bracing and don't want to let it go at all are like the, the power lifter people, the Olympic lift. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's just, if that's your paradigm is lifting the heaviest weight possible, I can see how you would be there. Like that's the, that's the standard to you. That's your standard of what makes an athlete in many cases. And so you are going to circle back to your bread and butter when at the end of the day, it's the the video, of the, how the athlete moves on the field is, that's your standard, you know, and how do I impact that, and how do I impact the time they ran, or how high they jumped?
0: Well, yes, I mean, you're, you're, everything you said is correct in terms of, like, the goal-specific thing. If your goal is to pick up – the, the thing about weightlifting, it's similar to sprinting, is you're never done, right? I mean, a baseball weighs what a baseball weighs, your body weighs what your body weighs, but, you know, sprinting, you always want to go faster, and weightlifting, you always going to go heavier, right? And so – you you don't want torsional rotation and weightlifting, right? You, you you want you want that packed pressurized system that is essentially 50-50, right? Because you're not going anywhere but up. And with regard to uh, some kind of a science test, the, the the most accurate science is the results. Like and I'm gonna go to the Fosbury flop, okay? So First of all, let me say we've never, nobody has ever scientifically proven gravity. So we could start with that in terms of the people who need the peer-reviewed study. okay? First, let's go figure out and study gravity and then get that one scientifically proved. and then, and then we can talk about these others, all right? So basically, if you were to take three groups and do this, there's too many other factors that sort of get in the way. You can really only test one person against themselves to get the most accurate. And it has to be longitudinal in the sense that, you know, Let's say you had the flu and you do something well. Okay, you didn't do as well. And then you feel great and you had six Red Bulls and, you know, you you did better doing something else. So it has to be aggregated over time. And the Fosbury flop is probably the most dramatic representation of a technique change that changed everything. And it doesn't need science, okay? Science came after, oh, well, you go over the bar, but your center of mass doesn't. Okay, yeah, pretty cool. We understand that. But ultimately... Who gives a shit? I mean, you know, if I'm talking about just getting the result, what's the difference? And so when somebody says to me, like, you know, I say, hey, look, uh, you know, pulsing the arms is faster than swinging them. Well, you know, I, I want to see the science. Well, okay, well then you can wait, get in line, and get on <laughs> later. It doesn't matter, right? You, you can teach the Western world, keep teaching it. It doesn't matter, right? Oh, and you know, Paloff press. It's a, it's a it's a counterproductive area. No, it's not. It's a great exercise. I know John Paloff. Like, oh, okay, like. <laughs> I'm sure he's a nice guy. I got nothing against him. The thing's named after him. Big deal. I mean, you know. But is that the criteria from which we're going to judge the efficacy of the exercise? That you like him? (laughs) right? I mean, and that's why even me, I don't matter. It doesn't matter who I. It's the ideas that are in the ring, and what I'm doing is I'm just banging the drum, saying, "Hey, my idea is in the ring, and my idea is Muhammad Ali. My idea is the best. It's the greatest." It's never been done in seven million years, running faster, carrying weights, and we'll get to that. But part and parcel to it is coiling the core with your head over your foot. And there's a fine line between misinformed and willfully ignorant. And so caution to anybody out there who has that knee-jerk reflex of, oh, that guy doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. He's a, you know, he's a pussy, he invented the BOSU ball, right? Because that, <laughs> that can be a knee-jerk response. Just be careful that you don't come into the arena with your ideas without having done your homework. I am very impatient in terms of making change. Dick Fosbury had to wait eight years to see his technique take hold because the powers that be didn't like it. So they didn't coach it. So four years later in 1972, the Western role wins the high jump. Now, how the hell is that possible? You have a In hindsight, it could not be more obvious. Yet, the powers that be, the establishment, the ones who had control, didn't like it, so they didn't do it, and there wasn't social media. Donald Trump is the president, and maybe it's gonna be Oprah, maybe it's gonna be The Rock, okay? We live in a different world right now, and controversy is good, everybody likes to see a fight, and so what I'm doing is I'm banging the drum, and I'm challenging people. I dare you not to do this training. Go ahead. Stay in your ideas. Hold your breath as long as you want. doesn't matter. You're coming up for air because the Fosbury flop gets you over the bar higher. So that's basically this need for science. You don't need science. Okay. Science follows the art and it explains it. And I'll explain to you scientifically why it works. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that the connective tissue transmits force faster than the muscle belly itself. And You know, why would you want to swing one arm up before you've hit the ground? I mean, does that make any sense? I mean, if, if time is of the essence, you don't have time to create the momentum of the arm swing. If you're doing a standing broad jump, well, then you have plenty of time to swing those arms and get that momentum that you're going to pull back on. And you can actually hold what, what the ancient Greeks called halters, weights, in your hands to create even more momentum and jump farther you know, from a standing broad jump with weights than you can without because you can create all that momentum that takes forever to get. And then you go and you pull yourself. Now, in running, when time is of the essence, you can't wait for anything, right? In terms of getting off the ground, you got to hit the ground harder to get off it faster. So and, and what I invented, the pulsers that we'll talk about, that's a, a, a shifting weight that allows you to hit the ground harder by thrusting both arms down to the event. The only thing that actually matters at all is maximum ground reaction force. In that moment, the body has to be balanced in position to capture it, to deliver it, and to capture it. And what you do in the air, whether you're Deion Sanders, you can drink a cup of coffee in the air or not, doesn't matter. It's what you do when you hit the ground. So that's, that's for all the people who re- require the science. If you, if you require it, well, then good luck for you because you're going to be behind the eight ball and there will be the science. But just be careful when we do science that we're not kidding ourselves. And, I'll, and I know I'm talking a, a, a million things. I apologize. But you know, there was a scientific study that proved BOSU balls are bullshit and that they make you slower and weaker, okay? And it was billed as the definitive scientific research to prove that bosu balls are bullshit okay and it has been the justification for tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of bosu haters out there most aren't but many are to say oh well there's science that says it's bullshit but very few people do homework so but if you dig into it even a half inch you realize that this scientific study didn't use bosu balls it used something that is completely 100% different in its training stimulus than a BOSU ball. But because BOSU balls are fun to beat up on, and if you say inflatable air cushion, well, who the fuck cares? If you say BOSU balls suck, well, yeah, okay, fuck them, they suck, right? So you get a, you know, get the, you, you've you just assured yourself that you're a man. You've just assured yourself that you're strong and you're tough if you say a BOSU ball sucks in certain circles. Right, but that was a scientific study, that that you know set that out. Stuart McGill's got plenty of scientific studies about how the core, you know, doesn't generate power. Doesn't mean he's right.
1: Yeah, I think I think ultimately, yeah, the research is always based on the what the practice has shown before, and I, I think it is it is tough sometimes looking at like control studies versus uh like like something like how fast did you go? It's uh, it's definitely a different paradigm. Um, I'd like to go back actually into what you were talking about with the uh, sagittal plane, frontal plane, and transverse plane a little bit because I think yes. uh, you just yes. dropped a lot of information. And actually, unpacking a little bit of it. I'd like to go back into some things we all can relate to, right? Like, And then I'd like to talk about how you, like the Royal Coil and, and where that meets into it all because I'm, I'm a big nuts and bolts guy. I like to talk about things that everyone's, you know, we're yeah. all familiar with the plank and the side plank and the paloff right. press and, and these right. things. So you mentioned uh, there's two types of sagittal plane. Uh, uh, there's the bracing, like you're going to lift something, and then sagittal plane bracing where you're still breathing. Can you uh, go into that just a little bit? And, uh, yeah,
0: So right. So basically, you just have to think in terms of pressure, right? You, you, your body is the boundary. The, you, know, you, you are salt water contained and insulated by fat. Okay. So that's what you are. That's what I am. That's what everybody is. Okay. And pressure is how we, you, you know, create strength. So you have to pressurize and brace, which means like you're fixed in a position to pick something up where you're not, you know, you're not side bending, you're not flexing, extending, and you're not rotating in transverse at all, or, you know, twisting transverse. You just pressurized, like you want to be this. And that's why, that's that's why a bodybuilder who's four percent body fat isn't as strong as he is in the off-season when he's got twelve percent body fat. That's why the powerlifters have meat. That's why the opera singers are fat because that 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 gives them the the stuff to to resist against. Right? You need some mana, as the Hawaiians say, if you want to be strong. Guest. Okay. So that's the one kind of brace to pick stuff up. Right. The other kind of brace you really want to use it as a bridge. From brace strong to from that brace and pressurize, hold your breath, valsalva strong to move and only reflexively brace based upon the the you know the forces that come upon you, <laughs> you know like a baseball. Yeah, it, there's going to be a, a a a pressure peak forcing at the moment that the ball hits maximum, right? The 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 sprinter's body is going to pressurize more when it hits the ground. Okay, but that's reflexive. You know it's. Too, way too fast for you to think it or try it. or intent. If you try it or intentionalize it, well then you're just way behind yourself, you're slow, it doesn't work. So brace and breathe is basically a strategy where against sagittal movement, front, back, flexion, extension, you want to be able to brace that as strong as you possibly can and breathe as normally and as naturally as you can. Don't tense your face, don't show me how hard you're working, I want you to, you know, you're you're bracing that sucker so hard, but you can breathe. It's it's your breath. It's your blood. It's your bones. These are the things that matter, right? Air and blood is everything. And the bones is really what's strong in the body. And I got a whole theory on bones too. But so that bracing, the brace and breathe is a bridge to be able to use that strong core strength where and when you need it for, you know – when you have to do it you're not too tired right it, it pays to train the diaphragm and that's a wonderful way to train the diaphragm because everything wants that you want that universal irradiation of tension but no we don't in fact so when we come to the coil now you just you're that much stronger to now create that rotate and the difference between the person who does the paloff press does not at the fundamental level understand the difference between rotating and twisting Okay, twisting is no side bending where the hips and the shoulders are going to change in terms of their axial relationship. That's if it's just purely transverse, it's a twist. Side bending is rotating because rotating is a figure eight. It always is a differentiation. If you swing something, you are supinating and pronating. And the simple act of supinating is coiling to that side. The simple act of pronating is uncoiling to that side. And like I said at the beginning, locomotion, swinging, and throwing are all so intimately related that you couldn't have one without the others. Can't. Can't locomote without sticks and stones. And by the way, if you're carrying a long stick that's functional, which you have to carry everywhere, every day, you can't swing your arms one up, one down either. (laughs) Can't do it, right? Oh, I'm gonna carry a seven foot long stick and I'm gonna swing my arms 90 cheek to cheek. No, you're not. If you do that and you insist your DNA ain't gonna make it. <laughs> you're left back, you're left back there and the lion ain't you or whatever. You didn't catch the rabbit. So there's simple, simple, simple things that you have to understand it, it. what happens is people get enamored of certain things. The transverse plane, it's like this mystical, wonderful thing. And, you know, oh, well, you know, the strong guys do think too much sagittal. So, oh, we we'll go to transverse. It's like, wait a minute. Side bending is the thing that kicks it off. It all happens at the same time, but the biomechanical uh, cascade starts with side bending. And if you watch a normal person, just watch a normal person standing 50-50, okay, and you say, hey, come over here, the very first thing they're going to do is they're going to shift their weight in the sagittal plane to differentiate, unless you went to a pose running clinic or a G T-running right. clinic and they told you to fall forward. <laughs> like, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> the people who succeed from that instruction succeed in spite of the instruction. They don't do the instruction, Right? It's just it, – like I said, it, I mean it's it, – I'm having fun because it's like it, – look, I've done my homework. I know what I'm talking about, right? And I know this is very, very uh, controversial, and, and I do it on purpose, like I said. Because, oh, well, why don't you just keep your head down and let the work freak speak for itself? Because I want change to happen, and I want it to happen fast. That's why. Right? You know, I, I don't want to protect this and keep – guard it and, and make it just my athletes and make the work spread for itself. That's, that's No, I'm going to challenge everybody. Put the idea in their arena and say, hey, brace your core, right? Now try this Royal Coil and now see what happens. And don't try the Royal Coil. Wait till your competition does it and then you have to. So it doesn't matter.
1: You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah. Um, so you had mentioned too, like the throw the salt over your shoulder thing. I know That's like the Royal Coil cue. Uh, could you explain that really quickly? Like, like I know it's hard to explain yeah. it and obviously I'll put okay. show notes up, but so, just for people yeah. to give them okay, the idea. So,
0: so here's, here's how the Royal Coil was created. I knew the coiling core. I had Chris Holder and Chris White up at Cal Poly. Uh, they were the first ones, you know, to institutionalize WEC method training at Cal Poly. Every athlete, every sport, better result. You know, they went to Mount Sac, the year that they introduced this. And I think they had like 21 personal bests at, at Mount Sac, like 21, how many events are there? in Like 21 <laughs> personal bests yeah. in one meet? Like what, what? Right. So basically I had already had the coiling core training and it was already distilled down, but then I went and I, I met great. I met with Gray cook, right. You know, FMS. And I, and I did, uh, he invited me to come take his, uh, I think it's the CMS. And, um, I was you know, two days in Southern California. He came out. He's a great guy, so eloquent, such a you know a Southern gentleman who you know just has a gift. Um, so he was teaching, and he had everybody do this one leg kneeling, externally rotated ninety degrees, front foot, and. I studied a lot of Chinese internal arts, and one of them being bagua, Zhan, which it stands for eight palms, and it's basically eight steps around a circle. And I got weird and crazy for many, many years. I discovered THC, and for me, it was a stimulant and a you know, sensitizer. I could feel everything. So I, you know, I spent three years walking around in a circle with you know internal rotate, external rotate, eight steps. <laughs> and that foundation is what led me to the, this reality, this truth. So as soon as Greg put us in that position, I was just like, holy shit. I, I got up and I went to the back of the room so that I, you know, behind everybody so I wouldn't be the distraction and I just started doing my thing, okay? Because I felt like, oh my gosh, this brings me back to that, oh my gosh. And it turns out that if I don't kneel but I stand and I put that 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 you know that external rotation in and then I turn and I tilt and I turn and I tilt, what it does is it fixes the hip relative to that ninth rib spot where now it makes it extremely easy to bring the shoulder down and back. You just turn and tilt, turn and tilt, turn and tilt. And so by anchoring the hip with that central axis through that stance and root through the glute, now we can go so deep and it's just so easy. And what you do for an athlete who's never done it is yet you have them stretch that area, the lower lat. It's, it's as low into the lat as you can get, right? It's the fascial origin of the lat. And you, as they're stretching, you rub that spot. You make it warm, right? You make it warm because they're going to cramp if you don't do it. And, and it gives them that mind, that mind-body like, oh, that's where I'm supposed to feel it. And you do that on both sides, you know, get them nice and warm. You feel that spot that got hot? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what we're going to hit. And then they do it and they're like, holy shit. And then you've got to do the other side because it's like, oh, Jesus, I'll walk around a circle if I don't. You do the other side and ba-boom, you've got this feeling of like, Jesus, your figure eights started. You watch, like, you know, Deion Sanders, watch these guys that get that swag. They got that strut, right? That's underhand figure eight with the shoulders and head over foot. And they do it because they're big cats. They like efficiency because they feel efficiency and they didn't have to figure out efficiency. Ask yourself, when when is a panther out of balance? At what point is he doing a 90 degree lunge, you know, rotating in the transverse plane, holding this or that? Like you can't move from that position. So unless you're doing some kind of a stretch, why the hell are you doing it? You're getting tired, right? You're sweating. Is there a maximum carryover to that particular movement? If you're training yourself in a position that you literally couldn't move out of that lunge, Big Cat would never do it. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm not saying that there aren't circumstances when a, a specific lift where you're not in some you know poised to pounce position is 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 necessarily bad. I'm just saying that if you're doing lunges where you ain't poised to pounce, I'm not going to do that. And I would say like go. Can you explain to me why you're doing that? Like, I don't get it when I can coil that lunge and make it so that you're like 10 times more powerful. You can sustain the position for as long as you want. You're rooted through the glute, loading through the ball of the foot, right? And you be faster as a result. You throw farther. You hit harder. Like, which should you rather do, right? And doing step-ups, doing step-ups. Why the hell are you doing a step-up without teaching a person to line the head up over the foot? Why the fuck are you doing a skips where you land him without your head over your foot? Like you watch Deshaun Jackson, you know, on YouTube and he's doing a you know, he's doing the conventional what he'd been taught 90 90 cheek to cheek, you know, a skip, da 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 da, all braced up core, and then watch him run. <laughs> he, he abandons all that bullshit. He abandons it because he's fast. <laughs> you know, what I mean? like you just spent 25 minutes warming him up and you didn't do coil it once, you didn't do head over foot once, you didn't. His elbows are coming very acute at the top, and they're opening way past ninety at the bottom. And if you watch him closely, he's doing a pulsing action more than a swinging action, anyway. And even a moderately athletic person will pulse their arms to jog slowly. Okay, I guarantee you, Joel, that if you, if I say, hey, Joel, jog over here. Head over foot, ba-boom, 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 and both hands would be going down until that moment of landing, ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. It's only when we try to go fast that we, we sort of resort to this preconceived notion that, oh, we have to swing the arms, which is actually not as fast.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I like uh, what you were saying, too, about, like, it's just, it's just interesting, right? Like, the athlete who can do all the robotic warm-ups, that's all wrong, and then come out of it, and and still be good, and you know we don't we don't really notice it, and, and we think what we were programming was was somehow helping them, but they were they were great anyways. I was yeah I was talking with you before about uh, a little bit of that guy from Indonesia just won the under twenty. There's a big news story about him. He he doesn't even afford running shoes, and he probably isn't that much of a coach. But yeah, when he opens up a top end, he's whooping everyone's ass, largely because a lot of things he was not coached to do. Um, well.
0: And it's interesting, real quick, like Usain Bolt, when's the last time, you know, in Usain Bolt's career, he went a long time since he actually ran really fast. You know, we thought at 9.58 that we were going to see better than that. And we really didn't, you know, what what was his, did he run a 9.69 after 9.58? Or like, he really didn't run that fast after that, relatively speaking. We were looking at, you know, can he go 9.4? But... And I believe, and I don't hold me to this, but I believe his coach Glenn Mills. I think I saw somewhere him say, "Yeah, he's got too much side to side movement. We're, you know, we're trying to work on that and straighten him out." Like, oh, okay, hmm, that's curious. Michael Johnson does a, you know, an analysis on TVC on the BBC of Usain Bolt. Oh, Usain Bolt doesn't have technique. He's all over the place, side to side. You know, blah blah blah. You know, look at Justin Gatlin, and he freezes the frame. Justin Gatlin's all coiled.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's like, uh, okay, I'm not seeing the same picture. And he's telling, oh, you know, he's all side to side. His head's got to stay here. His shoulders got to stay level. Well, Michael, let's go to the video of you setting the world record, and let's see. the Shot from the front, Michael, and let's just take a look at how you did it, right? Side to side, shoulder going down, underhand figure eights. So here's a guy, best in the world, you know, legendary, who doesn't even know what he did. So his construct is incorrect. He's incorrect, and he's telling everybody. So if you're wrong at the most fundamental level, like there's a fundamental problem. And I'm just here. I'm the little boy who's just pointing out King ain't wearing clothes. Like, and it's going to end. And all I'm doing by banging a drum like this is I'm bringing attention to it and it's going to take care of itself. If I'm, if I'm right, I'm right. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. You know, time tells and time has told on the stopwatch. And now the calendar is going to confirm it. It's just, you know, it's just a matter of moving forward. And we can all be friends in the end. I mean, I have plenty of respect for a lot of the contributions that all these people have, and Michael Johnson knows certain things that I don't know for sure, you know. And I can't program and and sort of have you peak at the right time. I don't have experience in doing that. I'm a biomechanist. I can't tell you what to eat. I can't tell you, oh well, do you know eight, do do eight one twenties? I can't tell you that, but I, I can tell you how to run every single one of those eight, you know, those one twenties or whatever the hell you're going to do better. I could tell you the things you have to do in a weight room to make you better. So anyway. That- <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, no, I, I, uh, I actually have, I have a follow-up question and then a transition question. So my follow-up question is this. I actually uh, just – you mentioned the, the coiling uh, fit in with the lunge. And I actually did notice – I noticed in step-ups when I've done video on people doing step-ups, if you don't coach it, they actually do put their head over the foot because they have to. If they're not going to like, unless they're going to like just eat shit and fall over for the most part. I mean, I guess you could try not to, but I feel like it'd be really, really difficult. But if nothing well, else, it's like that is a teaching point, you know?
0: Well, and I mean, watch the watch the non-athlete hike up Half Dome. And as you get to the top, they are putting their foot on the next rock. They're putting their head over that foot. They're putting their hands on that thigh and they're going <laughs> up because the, you know that they have to. Now it's the it's the guy you know who's so hell bent on the sagittal plane who is strong enough to do it poorly. <laughs> he's all yeah. out of balance. He did not even know he's out of balance. <laughs> so it's all relative to each individual, and so there are and and everybody who does it can do it better. It's like just because you're Sergei Bukka doesn't mean you couldn't get better, right? I mean it's all relative to himself or you know herself. And you got to shave the onion real thin at the top. The gains are much much harder to get and come by, and they're small. They're measured smaller, but you can still get better until you can't. Technique, Tony Little. Technique, technique. <laughs> it's about how you use yourself. At the end of it, that's what you can control. You can't control what God gave you.
1: Yeah, I was gonna. I was going along the lines of the step up too. I was gonna ask you. So lunge with the coil. Um, that seems yes, like it would yes. actually blend a lot of really important qualities together. How does oh, that work?
0: Oh, oh, it's magical. So here's what it is. Steve Cotter is a dear friend of mine. He is a lifelong martial artist and a move, a master at movement, and you know, extremely intelligent and learned and practiced, etc. Extremely powerful. When I showed him the royal coil, he had had a rich history in the bagua, and he goes like this. He goes, huh. Your lats are your feet, okay? Your lats are the most important movement muscle. And some listener out there, whoa, I don't like that you said that's more important, you know? Okay, is the omohyoid or whatever, is that muscle more important than the lats? Just get over it, okay? They're all important. Your internal obliques, yes, okay? And your glutes to the lats, okay? I get it. (laughs) You're an anatomist, I'm a biomechanist. Even kinesiology. You can go into the weeds a million times and look at each sarcomere. I'm a biomechanist. I care about the movement. I don't give a shit about anything else, okay? It's, it's when you coil, the lats do it all, and now you, can, you get to regulate where the other muscles are doing. Now you can use the glute in a ball-of-the-foot lunge. You match the spine and shin angles. You, you're, you're on the ball of the foot, and you're coiled up, and now you don't feel it anywhere else. Your lats doing it. You just you just, you just differentiated the lats. You got that one side and you exaggerate the living shit out of it in the exercise because it's going to regulate itself when you do the movement. And the lower down, I can drive that shoulder down and back. Guess what? When I'm opening up and I'm running, I ain't going to bring it that low, but that means my hip can come up forward and higher and relative because I shorten the distance, right? It's just, it is so simple. And once you discover it, once you do it, you're like, holy shit, I can make my glute work, ball of the foot lunge, and, I, and it's easy, it's easy, why the fuck am I trying, sorry for swearing, why am I trying to make something, why am I trying to make something harder? I tell my athletes, I say, listen, we're gonna work effortless power and then apply maximum effort. If I tell you to go start banging your head against the wall, what the fuck, I get, I get you tired, I don't get you better, right? It's, so the lunge with the coil, it's huge. I, I, and, and to me, it's like once I see the light, it's like, I, here I can't understand why you would do a conventional, oh, well, put your weight through your heel and keep your knee behind your toe and keep upright and now keep your shoulders level and now rotate your body, palms together. Okay, good, now next rep. You're getting yourself tired, yes you are, and you're getting stronger, but where's the carryover? It's, it's like trying to pick up buckets of water with a spaghetti strainer. The thing's gonna be wet, but it ain't gonna be full, right? So th- the lunge is huge. And then there's all sorts of differentiation. Once you have the of funda- the foundation, the fundamental, you do all sorts of variation, and you can make. And and now you, look, I'm 48 years old, and I'm a freaking, I'm a fast slow guy. Okay, <laughs> like you know, I'm not fast compared to someone who's fast, but I'm fast. And if you unless you're fast, I went up to Cal Poly where every single athlete does the coil, they do the pulse, they do the Weck method, 45 deadlift, they do the the, the Bosu Elite compression, every single one of them. And I'm running repeat 100s with these guys at 48 years old, and I didn't stretch. And I'm not coming in last place. There's certain kids that are going to beat me, and nothing I could do to beat them. They're just better than me. But in the skilled positions, I'm not coming in last place. In the skilled position, 48 years old, and I didn't stretch.
1: Yeah, when you do it right, you don't need to stretch, or well, you I, need to stretch yeah. anyways. But <laughs>
0: well, it, and and that's one where it's like, look, I'm not against <laughs> stretching and all that, but I don't stretch. I'm lazy in that terms. I don't like to stretch. Right? Why? Well, look, yeah, I'll stretch a little, like you know, like a cat stretches, but I don't want to sit there and stretch for a half an hour. Uh, yeah. Like I just don't want to do that. <laughs> if I were competing, maybe I would, but you know, I'm not, so I don't. Yeah, but so- I still, I I love being able to just turn it on and go ninety plus percent right out of the gate. I sprint all over the place. I hate running, but I love to to just bop around, you know, if it, I basically don't really go much further than 100 meters ever, if I can help it. And, you know, the sweet spots around, you know, 60 meters or so, I just love tear it out 60 meters over there, tear it tear it out 20 meters over there, bing bing bing. I I'm known at the stores that I frequent. When I go into the drugstore to get my prescription, I come choo 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 choo. And then since they know me now, they don't worried that i'm running out too but they're like oh you're the guy that runs (laughs) Mm -hmm. and the irony is no i don't run i just love to move with that efficiency
1: yeah yeah it's 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 really interesting when you like when you can move right you know and how little you have to warm up when you move correctly i I wanted to get into that lunge real quick maybe we can get a show notes in there like so in terms of like let's say the left leg is forward and yep. are you coiling then with the left shoulder down yes. and the left hip up? So, yes. okay, that yes. makes sense. I understand yes. that. So
0: basically what you're, doing, what you're doing is you take care of it with the lat. Because once you take care of it with the lat, now everything else is just anchored with that lat. And your lat becomes your foot. Got it. So th- your lats or your feet was a very prophetic statement from someone who knows movement. And like I said at the beginning, it, feeling is knowing, Right. You know, if you don't know what orange juice tastes like, I could describe to you in, you know, a trillion words. And you, just a simple solution here. Take a sip. Now, you know. Right. And so once you feel the coil, OK, now, you know. Right. And then once you see the enhancement to your performance, well, there's your incentive to do it. And time and energy efficiency is huge. You don't need to. You don't. and I insist when I train somebody, the only person who I'll make really tired is Dominic Cruz. 'Cause he's an MMA and he needs, you know, five times five, five minutes, five rounds. Mm-hmm. So I will make him very, very tired. But not anyone else who I work with do I make really, really tired. I just say, look, if you want to get really, really tired, we'll go somewhere else. You can do everything whack like methodized here or else go somewhere else. <laughs> like I don't care. And when you leave here ninety minutes later, I want you to feel like you can go play. I don't want you to feel all like wrecked. it's not about wrecking. You don't take a thoroughbred is not a donkey. You don't whip the sucker, right? You got you got to treat the thoroughbred right. And even with Dominic, everything we do is still like methodized, but it's just the sequencing and the rest and stuff. And we're, we're sacrificing maximum power for him. If I wanted to make him jump higher, well, we wouldn't crush the shit out of him metabolically like that. We just wouldn't do it, as you know.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely a believer that you have to do things right before you... Make them, I guess, "quote unquote" hard. Like, if you work hard first, you just do wrong. You're gonna do wrong a lot <laughs> and get wrong in the system a lot. Yes. And yes. Uh, before, uh, and yeah, even like um, I think you and I were talking a little bit about Marvin Rindovitch's training methods and how the, the p- athletes who tell me about that, who have been through this program, like it doesn't make you sore. Like your body is working the way it's supposed to. It's almost as if like you get sore when your body is like has to learn a way to move that it wasn't supposed to <laughs> or naturally or something like extra in the sagittal plane overload in the sagittal plane. I, don't, I mean, I like lifting heavy weights, but I, you know, just it's easy to, uh, I think, see things see things differently sometimes. Uh, I wanted to ask you a question that bridges things in because I, I think we had about time for yes. one more. And uh, yes. that's this. Okay. So people who would say, um, you know, playing devil to advocate a little bit here. Okay. So you have a studies, yeah. brace your core. Um, I, I have, let's say, I have a, a coach who's like, you know, I got a lot of uh, kids, like young kids, and they're all over the place when they run, and their core is obviously weak and terrible. And so I'm going to, uh, you know, brace their core and then they'll hopefully get better. What um, what are your thoughts on that scenario? And uh, maybe you can see where I'm like leading you right. In the the uh, I'm, I'm, um, I'm I'm lining you up for the next question. But uh, well, yeah, I mean, okay, yeah, there? so
0: I mean, that that's that's just a terrible excuse. Like I there was a trainer in my gym once. OK, and I had, uh, you know, sort of. You know, in order for me to not have have to wake up at five in the morning, I passed off a guy and I said, okay, you do this, 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 you've trailed me for four sessions and then you're going to do it. I came in the gym and he had this guy doing like dumbbell bench presses in a conventional one-arm row. And I just, I, I was just like, what the fuck is happening? Oh, well, yeah, we're just doing this as a baseline. So I'm like, what the fuck are we doing? It's like, get the hell out of here. Go do that shit somewhere else. You're not doing that here. You're not going to waste a second. So for a seven-year-old, no, I'm not going to teach him to brace his core because you don't want to brace the core. I'm going to create games and fun, and I'm going to let the kid make as many mistakes as necessary because I don't give a shit. I just want that kid to be excited to come back, and I'm going to layer in stuff that makes him better. And you give me two months with that kid, and I'll make him better. Okay, That's how you train a kid. You don't teach him to brace his core and do wrong things in a path to doing it right. That's a terrible excuse. Oh, well, I'm just – you know. Oh, well, he's so bad anyway. Come on. That just means you, the coach, do not know what to do. And I get I get livid about that. Because, I mean, look, this kid, his time and energy is precious too. Why the fuck are you teaching him something wrong? Well, it's because you don't know better. You mean well, and I get that. And like I said, there's a fine line between misinformed and willfully ignorant. So once you heard the message and you now start being willfully ignorant like some people, well, guess what? Your relevancy in the industry is going to go down, down, down. Because what's happening is like popcorn pop, 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 and then, blip, 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 blip. and then pretty soon, in terms of swinging the arms, one up, one down, that goes away. Paloff press, brace your core like that, that goes away. It's gone. You can't even count the popcorn. And it's because the competitive nature of athletes forces them to do the Fosbury flop and not the Western roll, even though there were hundreds, if not thousands, of coaches who had a massive problem with that and were unwilling to change. Until the change happened, and it's the same bullshit today. it's The same, but there's a deafening silence amongst a lot of the experts, and I know because I've reached out to some of them respectfully, right? You know.
1: Yeah, I wanted to, to use that to kind of lead into the arms a little bit because we're running out of time, but I definitely wanted to touch on this because you mentioned it already, and I because I, I've seen this myself with like the pulsers uh, and and just like getting the arms right. In many cases, fixes what we thought was like a weak core. You know, like oh, you have yep. a weak core. You need to go do whatever lift and a bunch of abs, and then you'll be better. But then all of a sudden, your arms are are fixed, and you're linking in the fascial system, and now, yes. oh, maybe you didn't have a really yes. weak core. Yes. You know? Like so. Anyways, talk okay. a little bit about arms. Okay. Um, probably just a few minutes on you know, swinging, yeah. and uh, yeah. what are what's good arm practice in that in that role? Okay. So 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 basically, look,
0: we want to use We want to use as much connective tissue as we possibly can. Okay. So the muscle belly its job is to support the connection between the connective tissues and to generate you know power force you need connective tissue right and if you look at a good athlete even a moderate athlete jog around they're going to be pulsing their arms going to land head over foot okay that's the what they're going to do because there's no pressure so they're just going to do what feels natural right and they're just going to do that and that they're doing it correctly because now they're using connective tissue okay so now with the arms if, let me go back to what something that Charlie Francis said. They were talking about the hip flexors. Charlie Francis, you know, he didn't know what I know about the arms. He knew you know, tons more in terms of many other aspects. I'm not trying to say that, you know, he's still one of the greats and someone I study a lot. But he said one time, I'll never forget, he said, Well, if you're, if you're running right, how much work do the hip flexors actually have to do? Right? If you're doing everything else right, how much work do the hip flexors actually have to do? And I'm not saying don't make your hip flexors strong. I am saying you got to make them strong the right way. But when you pulse the arms, it's a double down pulse. It's what you do when you jog slow, and it's what Deion Sanders, Randy Moss, Lawrence Taylor, Daryl Green, uh, Walter Payton – Bob Hayes, <laughs> the list goes on. Even Usain Bolt himself, like he he doesn't do it flawlessly, but he does a pulsing action. Your shoulder doesn't pop up on either end of the stroke if you're swinging your arms. Okay, <laughs> if 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 you're swinging the arm the way your coach taught you, your shoulder's staying down low. The shoulder ain't popping up the way Usain Bolt's shoulder popped up real high because he's pulsing with his elbow, not his hand. So he's not making maximum use of the mass of his hand, which he could had he been trained to do it. Okay, so. That in order in order to run your absolutely fastest, the best pulser in the world ever was Dion Sanders. And you think in terms of straight-ahead speed a lot because you deal with track athletes, and you're really a jump specialist as far as I know because I've seen your stuff on jumps, and it's amazing, right? But multidirectional, the pulsing of the arms, it, it pays even a bigger return because you got all those breaks and cuts and stops and goes, and every single one of those you're not pushing out of the break. Now you're popping, you're bing! and now it's a connective tissue joke because you use both hands and the foot that's hitting the ground is the is the hand that's coming forward right that's the side that's hitting the ground why in the hell would you be swinging the arm up at the moment that you're hitting down it's a complete waste it it physics you know it it doesn't make sense it's 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 load explode it's action reaction so if i'm a if i'm ahead of myself by having my right arm coming up and my right foot going down, well how the hell am I applying maximum force to the ground? And remember when you jog slowly, you're doing it right. It's just, it's the construct. You know, we if you take a human being and don't expose it to other human beings walking, that human being ain't gonna walk. It ain't gonna talk. Most coordinated part of your body is your mouth and your tongue and your eyes. Second place is your hands. Fastest part of your body is your eyelids. Second place is the hands. and we know that we use connective tissue in swinging and throwing, right? Well, why the hell wouldn't we use connective tissue in sprinting? Deion Sanders does. Randy Moss does. Daryl Green does. Bob Hayes does. Usain Bolt does. But they, none of them were coached to do it.
1: Yeah. No, right? It, the specialist does make sense, too. It just it, – it, it and then it feels it. As soon as you feel it, you're like, oh, my
0: God. It's like – Phil McConkie. I trained Phil McConkey. He's a master sprinter. He was a New York giant, played in the Super Bowl. So I watched him as a kid, you know, and now I've worked with him now a couple years. years. He's running now 60 meter dashes and 100 meter dashes and now the 300 meter hurdles, believe it or not. He may even be like the gold medalist in the world at the 300 meter hurdles we're discovering. It's pretty remarkable. But he is running faster at 60 years old than he did at 56 years old. And at the master's track level, above the age of 50, you get one tenth of a second slower every year. That is the mean average. So the record for the 55 year old is a half a second slower than the sixty year old, and that's a mean average. And so that's what's happening, okay? Give or take. He is faster at sixty than he was at 56. And I remember the practice. It was right? It was before I had invented the flight fight pulsers. I taught him to pulse because I taught him to coil and the coil goes hand in hand with the pulse. And he's one of these guys who's reluctant to change. You know, he's been doing it his way for a long time. So you got to, like, you know, you got to lead the horse to water very gently and feed him a little bit of salt so he'll want to drink it, right? And then I taught him a coil. He got the pulse. And in that practice, he ran three 120s, okay, three 120s in that practice. First two 120s, I record every single rep so I can analyze it because I can't see it in real time. The third 120, when he got the pulse, he took one fewer step and he outran the rabbit. And this old with him who could, you know, basically stay half a step in front of him to pull him along, you know, okay, anytime I want to dust you, I can, and, you know, pull up a body length. This guy was so discombobulated because Phil McConkey ran, he ran like, you know, what, six, he ran six and a half feet faster than he did the, the, the first and second rep. And you count the steps and he, he ends on the other foot. This guy who's running rabbit didn't win that rep. <laughs> and his form broke down as he's coming down the lane. He's just like, what the hell? Like, I can't, I can't beat him. <laughs> right? And, and then Phil McConkey, he just he laid, he goes, he goes, and he goes, and I'm not even as tired. Because I'm using connective tissue. And again, go to you know, go to Deion Sanders. Right? And then go to some, go to a moderately athletic person running slowly. <laughs> They're pulsing their arms.
1: Yeah, I certainly did notice it. that, yeah.
0: yeah. Exactly, exactly. And it's head over foot, too. Anybody who tells you it's not head over foot does not know what they're talking about. They say, oh, you got to keep your head in the middle? Run. Go, go, put your head over your foot and get the hell away from them as fast as you can. Because yeah. they, they're not helping you.
1: I, one of the the beautiful thing of it all is like like charlie francis you know your arms swing down not back and also it was funny i was reading james smith's uh, applied speed training again not too long ago and he was saying I give a charlie anecdote how the arms are like neurologically closer to the brain than the foot like the the order of the signal and how the the hands can change everything and i'm just like wow this is so important and it's just funny like you'll hear these posts see these posts on social media and twitter and stuff on like how like not to coach the arms, and the arms don't put force to go, and everybody likes it. And I'm like, you guys even think about like what you're what you're liking here. Like, I'm just like the. I mean, the biggest changes I've seen have been, and like I I alluded to, like I've seen someone with a very weak core. You would say throw pulsers on, run, and all of a sudden everything's like aligned. And I didn't have to do any sort of you know dead bugs. I mean, not that dead bugs are bad or whatever, but like I didn't have to do anything that's like core oriented to fix that i i they just fat, tap to their fascial system to stabilize the system like that's pretty cool like what yeah it, that's simple yeah. too it's not complex it's really easy. well it's
0: like it's it, it's almost like if you're playing the guitar and you don't hold the string down right on the fret it's not going to vibrate well right as soon as you get the right position hold the, the that string down bing it's going to play and so that that it's like that fascial ding it, it shoots the force through you very very fast and the other thing i would say is all, it's all important. So, when I say your internal oblique, you know, if, if, if you subscribe to the to theory that your internal and external obliques are your rotational muscles, well, then you, where the hell is the lat? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are you talking about, right? Yes, they are. And they're important. If we cut them, you wouldn't be able to move so well. But it's the lats. And the lats, the lats are going to bring that hip up and forward for you. Mm-hmm. And then add the hip flexors, then add the, you know, the abdominals. But you can't do it without Bo Jackson. The lats are the most – Gracovetsky has this amazing video of a guy who's born without legs. The guy's walking, right? And and what he's doing when he's walking, he's doing overhand figure eights, Hmm. but it's still the spinal engine. And if I were coaching – I don't know, he's probably dead by now. But if I were coaching, I would teach him the underhand figure eight because that's consistent with the leg locomotion. But nevertheless, he's still coiling the core because – you have flight and you have fight. Those are the movement priorities, right? Because at the end of the day, all that matters is the birds and the bees so that you can you know, keep the human race running. <laughs> I mean, you take that away and nothing else matters. So those are your fundamental functions is flight and fight. And so flight is extremely objective. It's so simple. Couldn't be simpler. It's head over foot, coil the core, pulse the arms. Okay, bang. And then you can get into the weeds and start to fine tune and make everything else better. But fight is so subjective. A beats B, B beats C, C beats A. Who's a better fighter? I don't know. I am. He is. They are. She is. Right? It's Christians and Muslims fighting it out. And so styles make fights. And so you have overhand figure eights in in fight. You have underhand figure eights, but you sure as shit don't have brace against twist in any of it.
1: Yeah, right on. I, I it's 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 nice to simplify those things too and and when you simplify things to other components you start to see it show up a lot and it just really confirms what you're doing so you have to wait for that research study to come out five ten years down the road (laughs) Um, but i think david i think that's about all the time i have for the show today but Perfect, perfect thank you so much for your insight the knowledge of biomechanics man it's just i think it's making the world of athletics a better place and making people faster so thank you for your time Thanks for tuning in for that controversial but extremely informative episode. I can't imagine that you didn't, I mean, especially if you're like me and for a period of time when you were just getting into the sports performance strength and conditioning industry, it's, it's brace, brace, brace and all these different um, ideas revolving around that and the myriad of exercises revolving around that. And all of a sudden you look at the coiling and you look at videos and you see it and it rocks your world. And there's all these new training implications and things that can deliver instant results. And I hope you guys have fun playing around with that. If nothing else, just looking at athletic movement in a new light and having brought something new to the table. So we'll see you guys next week with another great guest. In the meantime, if you like this and what we're doing, please don't hesitate. If you have your phone on you, uh, drop us a five-star review. Would love that on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever you're listening to. Also, uh, visit our sponsor, SimplyFaster.com. Suppliers of high-end training technology. FreeLap timing system, being my favorite timing system. That thing rocks. They got force plates, they got EMS units, contact grids, K-box, and more. Check them out. We'll see you guys soon.